another day Another dollar Makes you wonder where your money went You can scream And you can holler Hi folks, this is Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things we can all do to live a better life. Times get tough, or even if they don't. Today is Thursday, January 21st. It is episode 361 of the Survival Podcast, and we're going to pause today and take a look around the world, so to speak. We're going to look out there and see what the heck is going on. Instead of just talking about prepping and gardening and guns and, and everything else that we talk about on this show, in and out, we're going to say, okay, what's actually going on out there? What's happening in the world? Uh, what's going on economically and politically? But specifically, what's going on economically and politically that affects us as preppers, as self-sufficiency advocates, as whatever you want to call yourself? Because what you call yourself isn't important to me. All that's important to me is that you're building a more sustainable life, a life that is going to allow you to have a better life if times get tough or even if they don't. So that's how we're going to look at this today. A little bit different. I've got seven different stories keyed up. I'm going to go ahead and tell you what they are now, then we'll do our housekeeping. We're going to talk about the California water shortage for a little bit again, including some pictures I've gotten from a listener of what's actually, what it actually looks like out there now. Uh, we're going to talk about Monsanto's genetically modified flax in Canada ordered banned 10 years ago. And how it's still showing up and what it's doing to the Canadian economy and what it, what it's causing to happen with attempted importation into the European Union. Uh, we're going to talk about Jim Rogers' warning of a property bumble in China and how that might affect us. We're going to talk about Scott Brown winning um, uh, the, the open Senate seat in Massachusetts. Uh, what that means and what it does not mean. We're going to talk about another thing. Jim Rogers saying a food shortage is coming, and the Daily Finance basically saying, Jim, you're wrong. Uh, we're going to talk about H1N1 vaccines going to waste, and we're going to take a look back at spring mania last year and what was what were we told was going to happen by both the government and the foil hat brigade with H1N1 and what has actually happened. Let's take an honest look at that, and uh, we're going to follow or finish up with Democrats now promise to focus on the economy after you crammed it up their ass in Massachusetts, even though it has nothing to do with Obama and health care. All right. Uh, <laughs> with that, let's knock out the housekeeping. Housekeeping of the day, item number one, let's take care of our sponsors today. Sponsor of the day, number one, ready-made resources. Check out ready-made resources for all of your prepping needs. Specifically, check out the things that they have for alternative energy, both production and use. They have a great assortment of 12-volt products, including things like 12-volt slow cookers, which allow you to use like a small solar backup system without any kind of an inverter or anything like that and still have some capabilities. And remember, even if you have an inverter on your solar backup system, it's a good idea to keep some stuff that's straight 12 volts because it's a more efficient means of the delivery of electricity. Nothing is lost during the conversion. So check out ready-made resources today. Check out Tea Party Silver. I just put my latest order in for eight coins. 
I can now say once again, I own every single coin and every single option that they have to purchase. I love this company. I've got emails from listener after listener after listener that said I've ordered from Tea Party Silver. Mary Beth Maidmont is awesome. She takes good care of us. We always get exactly what we ordered in a timely fashion. And if we ever order anything that's short, we immediately get contacted, told they're, they're short on inventory. We get suggestions made for replacements, and we get taken care of. That's a sponsor. See, that's the difference with my sponsors on this show and sponsors you'll hear on conventional radio. They all have to go through an approval process. They all have to be personally vetted by me. Uh, they go through an approval process on the forum with our moderators. If two moderators or more, there's like almost 40 moderators now, folks. If just two out of that 40 say, I, I, I don't feel right about this, they get rejected. I don't know of any other place where advertising is run that way. Why? You're the most important thing to this show. This show is not designed to sell advertising. It's designed to take care of its audience, and that's why we run things that way, and that's why you can trust our advertisers like Ready-Made Resources and Tea Party Silver. Please remember that. Uh, next up, TSP Gear Shop. We have really cool stuff in the gear shop, and I have interesting uh, news. Uh, we are coming out with, they should start shipping in a few weeks, uh, Survival Podcast Challenge Coins, which are really cool. I've talked about them before. Here's the deal. The first shipment is already sold before it's available. They've already sold out. Um, that's pretty cool. So uh, the price on the challenge coins is going to go up a little bit, just like I said it would. But while we're talking about the gear shop today, we haven't done something in a while, so today we are going to run a listener appreciation contest. Um, this is how the listener appreciation contest works. You must have registered as a Listen Appreciation Contest player. Uh, that is available on the website. You'll see Listener Appreciation Contest. That is where you fill out a simple form, give me your name and email, and promise to tell other people about the show uh, through any means that you want to. If you are, have not done that, you cannot play today. I am sorry. This is for people who have already done that. Uh, or if you want to go do it now and then play, you can, because I'm going to give out some high numbers here. What are you playing for today? You're playing for a Survival Podcast t-shirt from the Gear Shop. You go to our Gear Ship Shop, check out what they look like. Really cool, and on the shoulder, logo on the, uh, on the uh, right breast, and big logo on the back. Look really cool in black, and I'm going to give away two of them today. Here's how you play. Send an email to jack at thesurvivalpodcast.com. Again, jack at thesurvivalpodcast.com. In the subject line of the email, put TPS, I'm sorry, uh, TSP shirt. TSP shirt. The, Sur- the Survival Podcast. TSP shirt. In the subject line. TSP space shirt. Don't put anything else, all lowercase, or it won't go into the right folder, and you won't get credit for entry. You can only play once today. I will give away a shirt to respondent number 10 and number 100, so no crying, whining about not being fair, and people that listen later and whatever, okay? 10 and 100. Send the email, jack at the survivalpodcast.com, TPS, uh, TSP shirt in the subject line, TSP shirt in the subject line, Email address you use when you enter the contest so I can verify that you're in the contest and your name and shipping address so that if you win, we can immediately ship your shirt out to you. Let's rock on from there. Uh, last but not least in the housekeeping today, I uh, uh, want to once again remind you about the Member Support Brigade. I keep adding more and more and more stuff to the Members Brigade, so check that out. Um, it's a way to support the show. If you think it's worth 20 cents an episode, hey, join. And then all the stuff that you get on top of it, it'll pay your money back. That's how I tried to set it up. So you can support me, and I can support you back 100%, and then some more on your ROI. I believe if you invest, you should get a return. 
Uh, and I do that with the members brigade on day one. Last but not least, hey, check out YouTube channel. Uh, today, I put three videos up on the YouTube channel yesterday. One was a review of a new product that I'm looking at, trying to get for the members brigade with a discount, from uh, a company called Harmony House Foods, which is like dehydrated vegetables and legumes and stuff like that. And uh, just a sampler pack I bought from them, what's in it. The next video is me cooking up a little stuff from that sampler pack, a little split pea soup that I uh, put together myself out on my Optimus Crux. Last one's a little gardening video. So those are on YouTube. Check them out. Let's get into today's show, though, and let's start out with a big topic for me, something that I am deeply concerned about, its effects on the United States economy and the United States food supply and permanently changing uh, a part of America, and that is the California water shortage. Uh, I've talked about this a lot before. Now, I think there's misunderstandings on both sides of this issue about why things are so bad. There are people that believe that the only reason things are this bad in California right now is the weather. They've been in a drought for three years. They haven't been getting rain for three years. There's weird weather pattern and global warming or cooling or whatever the hell, and that's the problem. And it's also the problem that the farmers out there growing these orchards uh, planted things that only grew when there was lots of water available. They didn't plant things that would grow when there's not lots of water available. When you see the pictures today, you'll see that, that the people that say that don't understand the problem. I'm going to send you pictures from a guy named Greg, who's a listener to the show. Uh, he used to live in Florida. He's now driving all over the United States. He has a website you can check out, rv-103.com. Again, rv-103.com. I'll link to his site today. And I'm going to put some of these pictures up that he sent me. It looks like the land dying is how he described it, and I, and I can't agree more. Now, let's be fair, though. There's also people that believe that the only reason things are, are, are terrible is because they shut the water off, that comes through the pump system out of the Delta, and that the uh, reason they did that is there's this little two-inch fish in there called a Delta smelt, and he's uh, he's endangered. So they use the Endangered Species Act to shut the pumps down during a large part of the year when the Delta smelt could be endangered by the pumps. Both sides are right to a degree. If we didn't have a drought, there'd be more water for the farmers, and if the pumps were running the way they're supposed to, there'd be more water for the farmers. Even if the pumps were running full tilt right now, it wouldn't fix everything. And if the pumps were held back like they are right now, and then we got regular rainfall for the area, the three-year drought went away, it still wouldn't fix everything. The place that they're growing this stuff doesn't get enough rain to grow almonds and peaches and pears and and, and all the things that are grown in lettuce and all the things that are grown in this, this uh, San Joaquin Valley. It just doesn't get enough. And what's interesting is there was already a drought before they shut the water off, and they pretty much survived, and they shut the water off, and gee, they don't survive anymore. What we really have a problem with here, though, we have to realize this, is that California has too many people and too dense of a population, and we have a water shortage in California overall. Um, I don't know what the solution is out there, but this is, well, I don't know what the solution is short term out there. I know what the long-term solution is. If I, if you said, Jack, you have to fix this problem, I'd say, here's what we're going to do. We're going to run as much water as we feasibly can to support the, the, the farms that are left now. We're going to build, begin rebuilding everything that's already been lost under a new design concept called permaculture. And we're going to put in raised, raised swales, along lines on contour, and we're going to start repairing the land. And I'm going to bring in the smartest people I know to help us redesign this system. 
That, that, and I would say, and what we're going to do is we're going to wean off of this high water usage over time, and we're going to put in a 15-year plan that we're going to need less and less water to repopulate this valley, and we're going to start growing things differently. That's the long-term solution, and it ain't going to happen because too many people are too stupid in our government and, honestly, too stupid in our society to be that enlightened yet. So I don't know what the solution is out there, but I do know this. Every time one of those farms fails, the people that own it are going to go do something else with their lives. They're not going to go farm somewhere else again. Especially a lot of these things are orchards, folks. You don't plant an orchard and start harvesting next year. These things were built up over generations of the family. Uh, the people that own them, you're going to see more and more of them just move to cities and take up jobs, just like has happened to farmers for, for generation upon generation in America. And we're going to lose that segment of agriculture in our society. That's what's going to happen to it. And that's going to adversely affect the food supply in the United States, and it's going to drive food prices up. It can't help but drive food prices up, and it's going to make us more dependent on foreign sources of food. You know, here's the thing. Nobody seems really upset about this. It makes a little news story here and there, but nobody in Washington has made a big deal about this, really. Nobody has. Do you know why? Because they don't care. Because you don't care. And I don't mean you as an individual. I mean you as the society of America. Don't really care about this. It hasn't hit you in the pocketbook yet. If this action was going to make us more dependent on foreign sources of oil, and it was already driving up fuel prices, everybody in Washington would be dragging people in front of Senate hearings, and, and we got to fix this, and oh my God, how did this happen, and everybody be blaming everybody. But because it hasn't affected the pocketbook yet... No one cares. And what they figure is, we have so much foreign source of food right now, that by the time we do feel the pinch, you know, people will forget where it actually came from, and nobody's going to get the blame, or everybody's at least going to be able to shuck the blame. But the big thing I wanted with this is I just wanted the opportunity today to share with you what this really looks like. I want to show you some pictures today. So... After you listen to the show today, go by the uh, website, survivalpodcast.com. Look in the show notes and down in resources for this show, uh, you're going to see some links to some pictures. Pro- I'll probably do it as a, uh, a thread on the forum. I want you to understand the real impact of this. And this is why I want you to understand it. It's bigger than this. It- it's something that can happen anywhere and everywhere if we allow it to. It looks so much like pictures from the 1930s of the Dust Bowl in the Midwest. So much like that. We're doing this to our, our cropland throughout, uh, throughout the world. Here's the reality. People look at this and go, this is a California problem. No, this is a systemic problem. This is what happens when you constantly plow fields flat and straight. And sooner or later, that area you know, experiences a shortage of water. That's what this tells us. That's all it takes. Why? Because we've created a sterile sponge with no organic matter that is chemically dependent. And for those chemicals to be activated, we have to have an abundance of water. So the minute we have a water shortage in any of these modern agricultural fields, we're going to get the same result. Please look at these pictures today. Please take that to heart. Please understand this is why you have to be involved as part of the solution and not just how you spend your money and who you buy from and whether you buy organic or not. I really don't even care about that that much, other than the health benefits it might offer you. 
I mean, you need to start buying from local farmers market people. You need to go out and find a CSA, community supported agriculture product, uh, you know, where somebody's doing things the right way, largely by hand, small scale operations, and you need to grow food in your own backyard. Because sooner or later, we are going to deal with this globally. It is going to happen. And I'm not one of these tinfoil hat people that's going to tell you, oh, they're going to pull the switch in three months and it's going to happen. You better have your seed bank or whatever. I mean, come on. Sooner or later, though, we have an unsustainable system with a massive and growing population density throughout the world and a declining ability to feed it. And sooner or later, it's going to come to a head. And when it does, I just want you to be prepared. I want you to be prepared to help yourself, and I want you to be prepared to help your family, and I want you to be prepared to help your neighbor. And we have to create abundance for that to happen. It can't just be done with stuff stored under your bed, in your closet, in your basement. You have that, too. But in addition to that, you have got to go into production capacity. Again, look at these pictures that I let it sober your resolve as to why this is necessary. All right, next, let's let's stay on the agriculture for a minute, and let's jump up north to our buddies in the uh, the great north of Canada, okay, eh? and up in Canada, eh, they have this problem, like 10 years ago, uh, they said this uh, this, this, this uh, GM, uh, genetically modified gene in the flax, we got to get rid of that stuff, eh, because uh, one of our big customers over in Europe, the European Union has banned this gene, eh, and, uh, <laughs> okay, I'll stop, a terrible Canadian accent, I know, but they basically say, hey, you know what, the European Union doesn't want this gene, they've banned it over there, um, even if we're willing to give it to our own people because we think it's okay, um, if our customer won't buy it from us, that's bad for our economy, right? So what Canada decided to do is ban this genetically modified gene in Canada. Not allowed to have it anymore. Monsanto can't sell it up there anymore. Uh, anybody knowingly put it in has to deal with Canadian law enforcement. You know, that type of thing. We're not going to have this gene anymore 10 years ago. What's the problem now? It's still popping up. Is it popping up in large volume? No, nah, not really. You know, it's it's like a, a hundredth of a percent or something like that. Um, but it is popping up. It's popping up here and there. In fact, this, uh, this gene has shown up in 16 countries uh, so far. Austria, Belgium, Canada, of course, Germany, Hungary, Italy, Luxembourg, Mauritius, uh, Netherlands, Poland, Portugal, Romania, Sweden, Switzerland, the United Kingdom, and the United States. And other than um, the United States, and I believe the United Kingdom, who's kind of like opted out of the whole EU they helped set up, um, every other country, it's banned in. It's not allowed. But yet it's there. What does this tell us? It tells us what Jack's been saying for a long time is true. Once you release something into the biosphere, it's very difficult to get rid of it. See, Monsanto has always claimed that their genetically modified plants have no danger to society. I mean, this stuff's under control. And these farmers that have our seed and claim that, you know, it's not their fault, that they didn't steal it from us, that we're suing and, and, and putting under and out of business like Percy Smyser that say, hey, this stuff cross-pollinated with my seed or seed was dumped off a truck in the, and it started growing and it infiltrated. And they've always said, no, 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 that doesn't happen. That doesn't happen. Well, here it's been banned for 10 years. 10 years. And it's still popping up. Now, do you, you want to know what's kind of sick and twisted? This uh, <laughs> this plant species, this, this variety of, uh, of genetically modified flaxseed. You know, I don't eat a lot of flax. Well, it's a 
it's the oils in a lot of things that you eat. Uh, it's it's in a tremendous amount of uh, of food supply, and it's also considered one of the the most nutritious grains for you to eat is flax, right? Um, it's called trifid, T R I F F I D. What is trifid? <laughs> what is the real source of that word? Trifid is a highly venomous fictional plant species um, from a 1951 novel called The Day of Trifids and Simon and Simon Clark's. Um, you know, it's uh, why would it doesn't even make sense? Um, I was trying to say, oh yeah, it's uh, the, the original Triffid came out in a 1951 novel called The Day of Triffids, and in Simon Simon Clark released a sequel in 2001 called The Night of the Triffids. Uh, so Triffids were this 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 venomous plant species, you know, kind of created in a, in a sci-fi world uh, that was highly toxic, and uh, Monsanto creates this brand of flax called a Triffid. Draw your own conclusions, folks. I um, all I wanted to do here is point out again. Ten years ago, this was banned. Ten years from from then, we now still have it showing up. And what is Canada saying to the European Union? Could you raise your tolerances just a little bit? Come on, this is like one you know one part in ten thousand or something like that. You know, could could you just give us a little bit more room? Uh, and and the EU saying we have this like it's called a zero tolerance policy. That means it's a banned substance. We don't want it here. So this is adversely affecting the Canadian economy now. So the person that sent me the link to the story said, "How the hell do we get this thing out now?" You're not going to like the answer. The answer is there's only one way to do it, and it may not work. But it might, and that is to go through seed stocks and test and get known GMO-free uh, seed stocks of flax, as much of it as we can, uh, put it somewhere safe, store it for a season or two, and for at least two seasons in Canada, grow no flax seed. Grow no flax seed at all. And then you're going to need cooperation from the United States. The, the, the farms that are bordering the Canadian border, at least at minimum, grow no flax seed as well. Okay, and then when there's no flax anywhere, and you grow other crops for two years and, and totally devastate that section of the economy and create a flaxseed shortage, uh, then we could come back in and plant it in two years, and that might purge the gene from the system. But odds are, a little bit of it is going to get through. And then it's a matter of time: is will natural selection take over now? And since this this uh, this, this trifid flax is more adaptable, will it begin to? Uh, come back stronger and reproduce itself. It probably will. It's it's almost impossible to totally get rid of it now. That's why we have to stop this GM food stuff now. That's why we have to do it. Because here's an example where somebody said, "You know what? We're not going to do this anymore." And even once they made that decision, and even once the you know the you could quote evil of Monsanto was stopped from putting it in. And I don't think Monsanto sending a guy up there with a sack of seed throwing it out in the field. I don't think they're that bad. You know. But I think we've got a real problem here. And I think we need to understand this problem. Um, let's go on to something else. And uh, let's talk about a little warning coming out of Jim Rogers. Uh, Jim Rogers today said that there is a uh, potential property bubble happening in China, that land prices in China are going up way too fast. 
but the thing about this is that I think this is being blown out of proportion by some people because they're not actually reading what Rogers has said in full. He, he's really concerned about two areas of China in particular, those being Hong Kong and Shanghai, that have experienced the uh, the highest number of people moving in from the uh, the countryside into the cities to take city-style jobs and uh, buying property. And that, of course, has created a, a supply-demand curve and has dr- driven up the prices in those cities uh, substantially. I don't think what Rogers here is saying is that the Chinese economy will completely collapse, but that if you're thinking about buying property in China as an investment, that you really better think about that right now. This may not be the best time to buy. In other words, markets ebb and flow and go up and down all the time. And little bubbles pop all the time, and they're they're relatively sustainable when that happens, as long as they're not massive bubbles, and as long as they're confined in their scope and their space. In other words, what happened in the United States is we didn't just have a real estate bubble pop in Los Angeles and New York. It popped all over the United States. It popped even in places like like Texas where, where land values were fairly solid and, and fairly reasonable. And it happened because of the derivatives that were behind the underlying investments. Uh, bets upon bets upon bets. It was a giant craps table that came down. Where China's problem is a lot more tightly controlled. They don't allow this type of nonsense casino gambling on property in China. And uh, because of that, they're able to rein things in. And what Rogers is saying right now is the Chinese are raising interest rates a little bit. They're slowing this growth down, which is probably a smart move by China. So when you see this, don't become alarmed by it. Don't think that this is a – somebody asked me, is this an indicator that we're about to go through the massive uh, inflation curve? Um, it, we might go through that curve, but it's not going to be because Chinese real estate's going to pop, right? especially just in their two big urban centers. And I, I imagine what you're going to see is uh, if you went over there, and I don't have any facts to back this up. This is speculation on my part, but it, but I would believe that if you look in the outskirts of of, uh, of Shanghai and the outskirts of Hong Kong, as you move out into the more rural centers um, further out, that you'll actually see property values there have declined as people have moved out of those areas closer to the center of the city. So there is a potential for population now to spread back out. Uh, the Chinese have no objection to urban sprawl and kind of disperse this and use it as a diffuser. That, that's speculation, but I bet that's what they'll do. I think they'll hold it in check. I think the Chinese growth curve of their economy overall has been too fast. It's, it's just been too quick. Uh, Roger said himself that they've made too much of their own money. They've printed too much money. But you got to remember why they're printing money. They're printing money because we're going, hey, man, keep buying our stuff. And every time they buy our, our, our treasuries, they basically use it to make their money, right? And we take their money and we use it to make our money. So there's no real money here at all. They're running just as fiat of a currency as we are. And if they're fueling ours, they have to fuel their own. See, the thing is, China's caught in this, this, this nasty trap with the United States. The United States is the, the number one place that China sells its goods and services to. Right, When they make all that cheap-ass crap over there, they have to sell it to us through Walmart and all the other discounters out there. Now, how do they manage to do that and continue to have a middle-class growth curve in China? Well, they do that by manipulating their currency to continuously be weak against the dollar. Okay, So they want to make sure that you, you have to have a lot of their money to get a little bit of our money all the time. What that allows them to do is run their eternal economy. And run it very, so you look at it and you go, well, this kind of looks just like the United States. And yeah, I make a lot less dollars here, 
But since I'm using Chinese money, I can buy the same thing with, you know, one unit of their currency versus one unit of U.S. currency, or one unit of their currency internally versus one unit of a euro, or one unit of their currency internally versus one unit of of uh, a peso in Mexico. Right. So they want to keep this balanced, but they also want the imbalance with their number one customer. That way they can pay their workers that one wage and sell into an economy that uses an entirely different wage system, and that way they can undercut all of the labor here in the United States and produce a product for nowhere near the price we could afford to produce it for ourselves, even with it shipping from halfway around the world. So, to do that, they must devalue their currency at the same rate that we do. To say that again, to do that, they have to devalue their currency at the same rate we do. Why do you think they're so pissed off at us right now? We have so slaughtered the dollar, and people will say, well, look, the dollar's doing better, and it's rebounding. That's only because the other economies that we're measuring it against suck ass just as bad as we do. Where the Chinese have been really smart with their money. I'm not admiring their political system, trust me. But their economy, they've been smart about how they've controlled things, and they've not let things get out from under them. What has pulled them into the abyss is us. That's why they're not happy with us. That's why they want us to cut this crap out. Because if they break from it, they immediately begin to strengthen their currency. If they stop producing at a commensurate level with us, right? they shut their printing presses back and create a currency stabilization in China, and we start to run away, their currency strengthens against ours as ours weakens against theirs, and the imbalance comes more toward equilibrium. If that happens, unfortunately for the Chinese, uh, the price of Chinese goods in America goes up, and the incentive to buy from another country or from domestic-made products goes up for Americans, and they lose uh, a big portion of their business of exportation, which is everything that fuels the Chinese economy right now. So... That's why we have. That's why they have the problem, and it's it's a big part of why this uh, this bubble's happening. But I'll tell you what I think is really driving the bubble in China. I think Rogers alludes to this, and all of these articles are linked today. You can read them all. Um, it's foreign money coming in. It's foreign money coming in to buy land in China, which is what Rogers did himself, and buy property in China. And that foreign money is pushing up values. It's no different than people in California that started to go into Wyoming and Montana years ago and buying up those big, beautiful you know, ranches for pennies on the dollar versus California real estate, and they drove up and ruined that market for so many people in those states. It's the exact same thing. So that's what's going on there. So don't overreact to it, but do be aware of it. Uh, next, this is an interesting one. I think a lot of people are excited about it. I'm cautiously optimistic about it. I am happy, but I'm not really happy. Uh, and that is Scott Brown winning the, uh, the, the Senate seat in Massachusetts under special election. So I, here's the thing with Scott Brown. Scott Brown could be the beginning of rebuilding the Republican Party into something that actually sort of maybe kind of once in a while pays attention to the people that support it. Or he could be a real damaging thing long term. The thing that won me over with this guy is I saw him in a debate with, uh, what's her name, Coakley, this, this shill they put up there. And the guy said to him, and I'll, I'll link to this on YouTube, they said, uh, Something to the effect of, you know, what we learned from the Clinton administration is if we uh, if we derail a health care bill, uh, it might be 15 years before it comes back to be repaired and done right again. 
do you want to be the guy that sits in Ted Kennedy's seats and makes that happen? And with this guy, he looks right at this guy, and he just slams. You can see the guy's like, uh, 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 while he's giving the answer, because he doesn't want this answer. This was clearly a stacked debate. And um, he said, with all due respect, it's not Ted Kennedy's seat. And it's not the Democrats' seat. It's the people's seat. Okay, here's what I want to know from Scott Brown. I'm being dead serious here. Is that Scott Brown going to still be here? If you win the general, you know, they're going to have another election uh, when the seat comes up to full term, which is only like a year from now. And if you beat the Democrat, they throw against you this time. And you have six years in the Senate. At the end of that term, are you still going to be that guy? And I have my doubts. And I would love, I would love to be proven wrong. And I want to see more and more candidates that think that way. But right now, I don't have a lot to be optimistic about as a Republican. That's why I'm not one anymore and haven't been for six years, maybe seven years now. When I look at the Republican Party as a whole and I look at the leadership in it, again, I've always said that we have this cliff. And this cliff is the complete and total destruction of the United States economy. We get the Democrats in power. They turn the car 90 degrees to the cliff, so they're heading straight at it. And they put the accelerator down, and they run the car at 80 miles an hour toward the cliff. We get Republicans in power, and what they seem to do is they turn the car about 45 degrees and slow it down to 60. We're still headed for the cliff. There are so many fundamental things in this economy that have to be fixed. One of the things I didn't like about that response from Scott Brown is, well, I want health care reform. I just don't want this health care reform. What health care reform do you want? I'm not a big fan of the government being in the healthcare business in the first place. I think we need them out of it. I think that would be a big solution to the problem. So while I'm, I'm optimistic that this is kind of um, hedging back the Democrats, and we'll talk about that as we wrap up today, um, I, I'm, I'm not optimistic that this is the resurgence of a party that's going to start listening to the people. I think the best we can hope for is to get our government into a point where it basically is in stagnation. It doesn't do anything because we have a balance of power uh, between Democrats and Republicans. And we'll talk about that phrase here in a minute, which is just so egotistical, the way it gets used uh, in the last thing that we're going to cover today. But, Scott Brown, I wanted to mention that. I also wanted to mention don't start playing the band and thinking that everything's going to be hunky-dory and wonderful again uh, because we got into this mess with a Republican president and a Republican Congress and a Republican Senate. And even though the Democrats took those back two years uh, before Bush went out, it was the Republicans that set it up that way. And all the Democrats did was make it worse. And neither party has done anything any different than the other in reality. They've talked differently. They've sent us different messages. It's still going to come down to you, my friends, and what you're going to do in your own life. That's what's going to be most important. Um, Next one is uh, on Jim Rogers again. Rogers is around saying, again, food shortages are coming Food shortages are coming, and the daily finance says that he's wrong. Here's what they're saying. They're saying that basically, you know, he might be right short term. There could be some little bubbles and hiccups in the food uh, supply, and maybe there's some money for investors like Rogers to make with these bubbles and and little bubbles and pops in between. But long term, our food supply, we don't really have to worry about it. It's going to be just fine. Really? And what do they base that on? They base that on numbers and government reports. They base that on reports like reports that came out of our government this year. There was a great video on this. I'll see if I can find it. But it was a report that came out from our government that talked about how this year, 
um, our farmers are producing more food than they've ever produced before. But at the same time, we have droughts, not just in California, but in much of the United States, and that is weakened production. And we have a lot of the food being still taken into the production of ethanol. So we have less food being produced, but the reports are forecasting more food being produced. So people like the daily finance base their things on things like government reports that are not accurate, because they can't be, because you can't have up and down at the same time. If you are on a road going north, you cannot also be heading south. Unless, of course, you're on that part of 1 and 95 where they merge in Massachusetts, where you're on 1 north and 95 south at the same time, which I don't understand. But anywhere in the real world, other than the People's Republic of Massachusetts, which is just taking a big step toward its own liberty, uh, north is north and south is south. And we can't be doing both at the same time. So if you're basing your economic and, and commodity predictions on reporting, and that reporting is inaccurate, then your predictions are probably also inaccurate. I'll side with Rogers on this one because this is a guy that's made billions by being right. You don't make billions by being wrong, I guess, unless you're a politician. So I do see coming food shortages. I see them for so many reasons. I see them because it's becoming less economically viable to be a farmer in lots of the world, and a lot of people are just giving up and quitting. I see it because we're running into water shortages. I see it long-term because peak oil must happen. Peak oil must happen. Uh, I've been asked a lot about that lately. I don't know where you people are getting this. I keep getting emails from people. You seem to doubt the theory of peak oil. I'd like to hear why you don't believe in peak oil. The only thing I've ever said about peak oil is absolutely fundamentally is true and has to happen. I just don't know when. And I don't think it's five years from now. I think there's a hell of a lot more oil than it takes us five years. But it could happen in 15. It could happen in 20. I don't know when it's going to happen. I don't pretend to have that level of clairvoyancy. But eventually it has to happen. Now here's the thing about peak oil. When peak oil starts to hit, it's not just the price of gasoline that we have to worry about. It's the price of food. We use about 12 calories of energy from the from the petroleum uh, system to produce one calorie of energy from the food system. Say that again. 12 calories of input in oil and petroleum product to get one calorie of output from the food system. The largest consumer of petroleum product in the United States of America is the agricultural sector. It blows away your car. 70% of the petroleum. It's either used in the direct production or the distribution, delivery, storage, and maintenance of the food supply. Bet you didn't know that. If you took Bill Wilson's uh, permaculture course, you would know that. But So what does that mean that peak oil represents? Peak oil represents a massive food shortage because you can't produce food if you don't have the oil under the way that we're producing food today. And it's very energy intensive. So I think when Roger said food shortages are coming, people are going, well, are we going to really have a long-term food shortage? And what they're thinking is, that means a food shortage that happens in the next year or two and last five years. And I think what Rogers is saying is we have long-term, decade-long food shortages deep on the horizon. 
And I'm an old man now, and I might not even be here to see it, but I am making investments with my fortune so that my family can capitalize on that at some point. That, that's what I see out of Rogers. I could be totally wrong. Um, I could be totally misjudging, but I mean, he's taking his family to Asia. He's making sure his kids learn Mandarin. You know? I, I'll tell you what, I think this guy's thinking in a century timeline while everybody else is thinking in two to three years of timeline. And that's where I think the disconnect is. And here's what I have to say to you about food storage. We don't know when. And we don't know what. So make sure you're doing it. And I say the same thing about producing your own food. You don't know what or when. But the reality is if you put together a good food production machine, a good permaculture system, it might be your grandchildren now long after you're gone to benefit from it. But I'd rather leave that behind than a desert, which is what our agricultural system is creating. So that's why I believe the food shortage is coming, because we're going to have peak oil. We have water shortages. We're depleting fossil aquifers. We're turning our most fertile soil in the world into dust, into sterile, into sterile sponges. All it takes is a water shortage and that at the same time to create a dust bowl. I'll show you pictures of those today. And then you tell me that that's not inevitable in mankind's future as we take a population from 6.7 billion to whatever insane number we're going to run the population of the planet up to it has to happen it has to crash please remember one thing about every crash you've ever seen if you're an adult you live through quite a few crashes now real estate crashes tech market crashes old real estate crashes savings and loan maybe if you've been around long enough you've read about them you've seen them right crash after crash after crash you can go back through history and research them you can see the effects that they've had long-term and short-term. One constant about every crash. One constant. Every crash comes at the height of the arrogance of the people that experience it. Every single one of them. They come when times are good. You never have like it's bad and it crashes to much worse. It's when everything's going and blowing and the band's playing and happy days are here again and we're all going to be great forever and there's all these great advertisements about how hard they can make your money work for you and everybody's on late night TV selling a real estate investor course and everything's beautiful and the, the produce has never looked better in the store and everything's wonderful and boom! And it hits you in the end. It hits you like a left hook that you've never seen, you never saw coming, coming into your blind side. That boxer sneaks around and gets that hook in there, and it just knocks the economy flat. Or it knocks the sector flat. It's always the same. So, when we get the false recovery that I've been telling you about for two years almost now, when that comes, and when everybody says, look how wrong you were, remember, remember, we stand at the height of arrogance when we are inches away from the precipice of disaster. We are most arrogant and we are most vulnerable when we are inches away from the cliff. Because we're so busy looking up. Because everything's going to grow. We never look down at the drop in front of us. That's what Rogers sees. That's what I see. And I see it with food. And I see little short term, just like the, the, I'm telling you, the daily finance people are going to say, look, see, see, there's a little bubble here, a little bubble there. Everything worked out. We've got everything going again. It's good. See, Rogers, that old man's crazy. Look at the bow tie. He's got to be nuts. Right? And sooner or later, it'll build. And sooner or later, the more we build, the further we will fall.
Take care of yourself. I mean that. Next one. H1N1 vaccines are going to go to waste. I talked about this briefly. I wanted to talk about it a bit today as we looked around the world and see what's going on. Your government's terrified now, man. Uh, see, they got this problem. <laughs> they got this huge problem. Uh, they were freaking out like this H1N1 was going to kill everybody, and they were telling you, oh, my God, you've got to get your shot. If you have a kid, you got to get two shots for your kid. And we're going to have shortages, and oh my God, you better get in line. You better get your shot as soon as possible. And this flu, uh, you don't have any herd immunity to it, and you could all die. And sneeze in your sleeve, and, and wash your hands, and, 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 blah, blah. No different than any other flu. And they made such a big deal about how safe the vaccine was, and we get, kept getting reports and reports about it being rushed. And the public kept looking at it and going, I don't believe you. I just don't believe you. I don't think you're trying to hurt me, but I don't believe that this is safe. And even if it is, I believe the risks of the vaccine are are greater than the risks of a common flu. And yes, some people die from it. I had one person email me and said, Jack, I work, I work for the intensive care unit of a hospital, and I wasn't afraid of H1N1, but we've had some people come in lately, and the people that we've had come in here are really sick. I'm way sicker than I ever thought you could be from this. I, I, you know, I, I think I need to get my vaccine for H1N1 now. Okay, let me just say, duh. You know, duh. Really, you work in the intensive care unit of a hospital, and the few people you've seen with H1N1 are really sick. You think so? Do they send people that have mild flu-like symptoms to the intensive care unit? Do they send people that are even pretty sick and don't feel good and even maybe need one night in the hospital to the intensive care unit? No, they only send the very worst people to the intensive care unit. Of course the people that you saw with H1N1 were really sick. You work in a place where everyone that you see is really sick. We have to think with clarity. Now, on clarity, this is the big reason I brought this topic up again today. I want to go back to March, April, and May of 2008 for a minute, or 2009 for a minute. I want to remember the words of Jack Spierko, and I want to remember the words of the Foil Hat Brigade. And I want you to start thinking when you hear crap come out of the Foil Hat people in the future. Jack Spierko said, when this thing rose up, you can go back and listen. I'm not recorded. You can listen to anything you want to from the past, not from me. When this thing started and we didn't know what it was, they said this could either be really bad or not event. If it's really bad, they don't have time to get a good, safe vaccine out before it starts killing people. By the time they do get a good, safe vaccine out, if it's not killing people, we aren't going to need it. And the numbers that they're saying. And I said the big danger of this is, if this flu turns out to be a non-event, in the future, we could get a flu that's a real event, and nobody will heed the warning because now we have the boy that cried wolf. That situation is now set up. Don't tell me that if next year we get a new variant of, so you know, H5N3 or something, right, that people aren't going to start going, yeah, we heard this already, right? They've set that up for themselves. Hopefully it doesn't come to fruition. But that prediction has come to be. Now, the full half people were saying what? This flu was manufactured in a laboratory. It's designed to make you get a vaccine so that they can kill you. They said that this flu was designed and engineered so that the new world order could take over. Go read the crap. You know, and I even like Alex Jones 90% of the time. But go read the crap on his website from this time frame. 
It's for, they're going to line you up. They're going to come to your house. They're going to make you take the shot, right? Forced immunizations. It's already planned. They got trucks rolling everywhere. They're coming to get you. And what did I say? I said, these people are freaking nuts. They'll never try to come forcefully vaccinate anybody. They'll create the illusion of a shortage, and people will get in line and beg for the vaccine. Well, they created the illusion of a shortage. People got in line and begged for the vaccine. The people that were begging for it got it. The people that weren't begging for it looked at it and went, huh. So now what? Now the vaccine sits and rots on the shelf. And nobody wants it. And the government goes into a full court press about how we're not out from under this thing yet. And oh my God, you better get your swine flu vaccine. Bring your kid back for their second injection. But let me ask you, did anybody come to your house and say, ma'am or sir, get out here and get your vaccine? Did anybody line you up and take you off to a FEMA death camp because you didn't comply? Did anybody rope off your city and go through and say, where is your proof of vaccination? Did any of the things that these people said were about to come and happen, happen? None of them happened. This is why we have to keep a check on reality here. Your government is a lot of things. In many ways it is malicious. But far more than being malicious, it is incompetent. See, the thing is, a lot of these these New World Order conspiracies at the high level where they get active. And I'm not saying I don't believe in a new world order. Of course I do. Right? There's a, there's a move toward the global government of society. That is the new world order. It's globalization of government, healthcare, food, economics, all things. It's created a global federation. It's out in the open. It's wide open. It's not hidden. But it's not that they're going to put you in a death camp and inject you with a poisonous vaccine. So all I want you to do is I want you to use this as a learning experience. If you're one of these people that typically believe the stuff that comes out of these channels, and I want you to honestly today go back and read the things that you were reading then about how all this stuff was going to happen, and I want you to realize it did not happen. And you'll see that they're not even talking about it now. They're talking about other things, and if it's brought up, they'll make some excuse. Oh, well, they weren't. there was a trial balloon. That's the big one. Oh, it was a trial balloon. Right? Well, you, you predicted five, they were all, tri- oh yeah, they were all trial balloons. These people are very, very patient. They're very patient, but one day they're going to do it. And they're going to do it, and they're going to chip you, right? They're going to chip you. That's what they're saying right now. Oh, they're going to round us up and chip us. They're never going to round you up and chip you. You know what they'll do? If they want chips in people, we're two generations from people that will line up and take them willingly. We're one generation from people that mostly will line up and take them willingly. If they're that patient that they can afford trial balloons for the last 2,000 years, you don't think they're going to wait two more generations? You've got to get a grip in reality. You can't overreact. You can't put your attention into areas that don't matter or are not going to happen or are completely fictitious. You can't live in a conspiracy theory realm. Now, there's a lot of things that people call conspiracy theory that are fact. But there's a line of delineation between the two of them. And it's really important, if you're going to be part of a prepper movement, if you're going to be part of a self-sufficiency movement, if you're going to tell people, hey, look, it's important to be prepared, that you're not out talking about nonsense. Because people are looking for an excuse not to take responsibility. Don't give them one. And a lot of these theories are a way to give them one. So look back, see what was said about it. And realize, use your truth detector and your bullshit detector. All right. Last up today. 
This is one of the most arrogant damn things I've ever seen in my life. Um, there's an article, and it is from, let's see, who is the article from? The Washington Post, or as, as Michael Savage calls them, the Washington Compost. And here's the headline. After Massachusetts lost, Democrats vow to focus on the economy and jobs. Really? Really? You don't think that's what people gave you control for uh, a year ago? They gave you a president that said it would be his number one uh, thing, that that's what he would want, you know, to, to, to fix the economy? You don't think that's why, even after massive objections, when you spent a trillion dollars of our money into a rat hole of nothingness to fix things like turtle tunnels in Florida and a mouse swamp for Nancy Pelosi in California? You don't think that's why, even when you did that against the will of the people, the people didn't rise up and physically pull you out of your clown house because you promised to fix the economy with it? You mean, you sat there for a year while the unemployment rate went from 7% to 10% when you promised it, was, it wouldn't go over 8 if you blew our trillion dollars, and it wasn't $800 billion, it was a trillion when you add in the interest against it. It'll be even more than that, honestly. You don't think that's why you were given the opportunity? You don't think that's what people... Well, what the hell have you been doing up till now? Some of this stuff is just... It, it's absolutely arrogant. Um, I, I just don't even know... Uh, that, you know, Here's what they said. They said that, that members of the uh, Democratic Party agreed that voters are prepared to punish them, not only because the economy has not improved faster, but also because they've not delivered on one of the central promises of President Obama's campaign. Changing the way Washington does business, uh, the, the 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 Washington Post is a liberal shill. It really is. It's it, you know as much heat as Fox gets for being a conservative news source. The Washington Post is just a. It might as well be called the Democrat Gazette uh, for the DNC. And uh, but this is one of the most true little statements in it. That was one of the big promises that came out of President Obama. It was the one thing that I said, let's give this guy a chance on. Right? It was the one thing I, I said, you know what, the policies this guy wants to implement, I'm totally opposed to. But things like transparency in government, things like, you know what, anything that we're going to vote on, we'll put it online and let people read it for five days before we vote on it. And then pushing lobbyists out of the White House. I said, okay, you know what, if you'll do those three things, and I have to suffer through four years of you, but you live, you leave that behind, we'll fix your mess, and you've done something good for the country. He's done none of that! We haven't had a single piece of legislation that's been put up for five days before it's voted on. Not a key critical piece of, of legislation. Most of the legislation has actually been hidden from people. Most of it's been voted on so fast that the Congress and the Senate haven't been able to vote on it. He's got lobbyists in his cabinet! And these people now, now they're going to turn and focus on the economy? Well, gee, thank you guys. That's what we were kind of hoping you would do for, you know, let's not even say a year, let's say for three years. People gave you the House and the Senate three years ago. They increased that for you a year ago. They gave you the presidency a year ago. Now you're going to unite behind fixing the economy, the very thing that you campaigned on? This is just absolutely a disgrace that these people are even able to talk like this. Now, again, though, I want you to understand something. This win is not that big a deal. 
It's not as big a deal as all the right-wing conservative talk show hosts are going to tell you it is. It doesn't say that America has really changed. It says that in this one place, people have decided they didn't want one thing. This, this election was about the health care bill and little more. And I think you'll see most of the people of that part of Massachusetts go back to electing a more liberal candidate as soon as health care goes off the agenda. I really believe that. Well, what is all of this crap? What is, Jack, why are you talking about the Senate election and the Democratic Party and stuff like that today? What does it have to do with our survival? It has everything to do with your survival. You know, one of the things that the uh, the Daily Finance was talking about, that they were right about, about food production and saying, you know, we don't have to worry about this, is how big of a role governmental policy plays on the food supply. That a lot of the problems in our food supply can be fixed or caused by the stroke of a pen. In other words, right now, we can't totally fix the, uh, the drought in California, but the stroke of a pen, though, that would say turn more water on out of the delta for the farmers would largely fix some of the problem. At least we could say maybe go on and prioritize certain areas to be saved, and we could save those before they die. We could make a difference with the stroke of a pen, but to save a fish, we'll let people lose their livelihoods, and we'll let people die, honestly, to save a fish. That's our government. What will other governments of the world do? You have got to pay attention to your government once in a while. You can't sit there and look at it every day. But your government is the number one thing that will cause or aggravate a threat. What I mean by that is they'll either be the direct cause of something like an economic collapse or a food shortage, or when the event does occur, the things that they do in the name of fixing it will make it worse and cost you liberty and obstruct your ability to provide for yourself. Your government does not want you self-sufficient. That is the last thing that any government wants. The more self-sufficient a human is, the less they need their government. So the more dependent you make people, the more they need government and the more government can do. Your government doesn't want your money. They want the power that your money represents. And what they're willing to do is exchange that money with the corporate uh, fascists in this country. And I'm going to get heat for that term, but that's what this is, a fascist economy. You don't believe me? Let me tell you what the textbook definition of fascism is. Fascism represents neither laissez-faire capitalism nor communism, but a third way in which the government and corporations work together and the divisions between the classes of the people in society are seen as advantageous. You tell me if I just describe the economy of the United States when we look at large businesses, $500 million a year and up, the billion-dollar businesses. right? It's exactly how our government and our economy works today. The divisions of the classes of the people are seen as advantageous, and government and corporations work together to utilize those divisions for the betterment of society. It sounds wonderful, doesn't it? So does Marxism when you read it in a book. This is exactly the path that we're headed down, and it's why you've got to pay attention once in a while. But this is a show about solutions, so what do you do? I'll tell you what you do. You be aware, but you don't be overwhelmed. You understand the threat, but you don't fear it. You be prepared to fight and hope you don't have to. 
and you wage a revolution in your heart, your mind, your body, and your soul in your backyard. You provide some sort, some level of your own energy production. You provide some level of your own food production. You store food. You learn how to do things. You develop skills. You educate yourself. You take care of yourself physically. You learn how not only to exercise and eat halfway right, okay, but how to use herbal medicinals, right? The ones that are effective. Not everything works. Not everything you're told is a miracle cure. There's a lot of people out there in the herbal industry that want to make a ton of money by telling you one plant will cure every problem you've ever had. Trust me, if that plant existed, everybody would know about it and be growing it in their backyard right now. But there's a lot of good that can come from that. You learn how to do things like build a shed, basic carpentry, work on your car. How does the damn thing work? Do you know? Some of you are going, of course I know. But a lot of you don't. You learn how to defend yourself. You learn to use firearms properly, safely, accurately. You master the rifle. You master the pistol. You master the shotgun. You master the garden spade. The rifle in this country is not for revolution. Except on the darkest day of the planet. At the literal abyss where the tinfoil hat people are proven right and the stormtroopers march. Until that, the rifle is to prevent the revolution. Because the revolution we should fear is not the people that want this country to be what it's supposed to be, not the people that want this country to follow our Constitution. The revolution we should fear is the people that want to take this country and do away with the current system and replace the Constitution with something new. That's the revolution we fear, and the rifle is designed to prevent that. Because that starts with rioting in the streets and going in and taking over people's homes and creating an environment of fear where that can happen. But when you have a nation of trained gun owners ready to defend their home, not ready to run off and hide and play Red Dawn, ready to stay right here and say, this is my home, that's my community, that's my neighbor. You know what? He might not be armed, but I am. you better stay out of his house too. That prevents that revolution. That's why it's never happened. That's why this is not a banana republic. That's why there's not coup d'etats every time everybody's pissed off about something. That's how we keep what we have from sliding further. By people standing up and saying, no more. The end. I will not yield any further. I will not live in fear. Period. There is no room for fear in your life. Period. I don't care how much of a pepper and survivals. I don't care how many disaster scenarios you've looked at. Fear is an enemy. Banish it. Gone. Action is your ally. Knowledge. Action. Community. Work. Get freedom. You get yourself into a place where you have freedom from debt. You get yourself into a place where you know you can defend your home and your family and your neighbor. You get yourself into a place where you know you can feed yourself. You get yourself into a place where you know you'll at least have enough water and you can produce some, maybe not even all, but some of your own energy so you can at least keep the lights on. You do that, you become almost undefeatable. And you become an example to those around you. That's a revolution. That's a solid revolution. And it's with a monkey wrench and a garden trowel and a book. And now the internet and alternative media. That's a revolution. And you know what makes it a good revolution? It doesn't attempt to do away with anything. It attempts to return us to the roots that our founders gave us. 
That's what it's really all about. And people will say, Jack's left wing, Jack's right wing. I'm not any wing. I believe that the Constitution of the United States is the, the undisputed foundational law of the land. You want me to vote for a Democrat? Show me one that will follow the Constitution. Even if I disagree with his politics, he's probably going to be a pretty damn good leader. You want me to vote for a Republican? Same deal. Same deal. What we should be debating is the way that we utilize the constitutional republic that we are in to the best of its ability by defending people's rights to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. To ensure that we have commerce with other people. But no. But no, we're going to try to fix everything. And every time the government fixes something, they create a new problem. But you don't have to accept those problems. You can live outside of society while being surrounded by it. It's up to you. That's what I want you to do. I want you to take all the knowledge that I give you. I want you to make it your own. I want you to take it. I want you to channel it. I want you to control it. I want you to believe in yourself. I want you to believe in the people that you care about and you love. I want you to believe that, yes, things can go wrong, but they don't have to hurt us. They don't have to hurt us to a point where we can't recover. That's for damn sure. You walk out tomorrow, somebody can walk up on the street and punch you in the face. Doesn't mean you won't recover. Don't allow life the opportunity to hit you hard enough that you can't get back up. Stay solid, stay true. That's a great way to live that better life. This has been Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. Helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough, or even if they don't. You can scream. You can holler, it really doesn't matter, cause it all gets spent.